is today. Today? It is Wednesday, my dude. This is gonna be great! <laughs> hey everybody, good to see you. I did that last week. I said see you. I said but I don't see you, but I do. It's a weird thing. I don't want to make it a thing. Because I don't actually. I mean, I'm doing this ahead of time. Yeah, I'm doing this in the a studio room thing. Anyways. I want to get right into what I'm going to talk about today. And I'm going to start with this. I've done... A number of worship nights in my life here in South Carolina I've done some in Michigan and Missouri and Illinois and Minnesota all over the place and in those worship nights there was a lot of planning that went into them as a matter of fact I have plans for worship nights that I haven't even put on yet I just have ideas and stuff so I've got a lot of time and effort into those I take a lot of time to think through worship sets. I think about the audio, the video, the transitions, making sure there's times to pray, songs that are popular for whichever body or church that I'm in front of so that they can join in with me singing, all sorts of stuff. And I've never just thrown anything together last minute. Well, actually I did. I did a small group worship night at my house for our small group uh, a couple years ago. And it was fun, but turns out um, we all got COVID. So instead of a worship night, it was pretty much just a super spreader event. Good stuff. See, that's what happens when you don't plan. You just throw something together, you get struck down. The point is, I plan worship nights or whatever event that I'm going to be putting on well in advance. For the most part, standard stuff. Not shocking, you know, no big revelations here. Planning is good. Now in my plans, let's say for a worship night, uh, I like to plan for an hour, hour and a half around there. Um, some people might think it can go longer. I've heard from people who have attended some of my worship nights. I'm like, man, I wish you would have just kept playing. I had a good time and we could have been here for another hour or two. And others, I bet you're like, you know what? It's really, I'm finally, it's over. We can go home. Who knows? I, I don't want to wear out my welcome a lot of times. You know, like I don't want to make something too long. But my formula, I have a formula for number of songs in a set list. Now, if I'm in the secular band, if I'm going to play, you know, a lot of times you're in a cover band or whatever, you play uh, three hours. Um, so each set is an hour. It's actually four hours as the time limit, but then you take breaks, whatever. But my formula is 16 songs for an hour. Now, these are secular songs. We go into... Worship songs, the worship songs are a little longer. Uh, plus, I like to talk a lot more during the worship sets. You see, in the secular world, I like to go song, 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 song. I, I just play the music. We don't need to hear from me. But in the worship setting, I like to talk. I like to explain the song. I like to share stories. Things like that. You know me. I'm a talker when it comes to worship stuff. Maybe I add videos. Stuff like that. So for worship, the songs are around... 11 to 12 for an hour. And I have to figure out which songs flow best from one to the next. So in terms of like starting and ending keys, 
what messages go with each songs. Um, sometimes uh, in the band Chasing Rain that I did a lot of worship nights with, uh, I would take you on like a four song journey uh, where, where one connected to the next and sort of like a, a fake walk, a faith walk journey. So for example, I wrote a song called They Say I Know, which is all about hearing everybody talk about this Jesus guy. They say that he knew me before I was born. They say this and that. And then by the end of the song, I've given my life to him and I know that Jesus is real, that, that whatever was said was true. And then I would go from that into a song called Difference Maker, where in that song you realize that we, we this that we all realize we can be difference makers in the world by just sharing the gospel, that if God is on our side, who could be against us? Then I transition into the song called Overwhelmed or, or even a How Great Thou Art, where you see and realize the greatness of God in just everything around us and, and the way that he's moving in our lives and every, through every second throughout the day that you are overwhelmed and how great he is. Then I, then I might end with um, the song, my first uh, worship song that I ever wrote called Give You Praise. Um, and and, and the, so, so it's just this little four song journey that we go on kind of sharing my walk. And, and why do I do that? Because it relates to, to who's, whoever is listening. I think we all have similar stories. Maybe not the, uh, the writing the song at the end, but, um, we all have a similar path where we, we've heard about this Jesus. Is he real? We investigate, we come to faith, we start sharing the gospel, all that kind of thing. So it, it kind of connects with my audience and it, and it kind of builds it up that worship night. Um, same, but the moral of the story is planning, planning, and more planning. And that same that goes for events that we've had that I've helped run is planning. So why am I talking about planning so much? Well, here's why. To make anything happen that's good, most likely it has to be planned, right? Right. For me, the idea of a planning, the experience that, and the experience that I have in planning events and worship nights is a big reason why when I hear people question the validity or realness of the revival going on in Asbury, I think uh, planning. So if you're not up on things or have been living under a rock for the past few weeks, the Asbury Revival started February 8th after a 10 a.m. chapel service uh, when a group of about 20 students and the worship team said they felt prompted by the Holy Spirit to continue to worship past the end of chapel service. And according to one of the students, a few hours later, the president of the seminary sent an email to the students encouraging them to visit the chapel to join the 20 students on what he described as an outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And apparently 200 students arrived for worship at the chapel soon after, and that's been nonstop ever since. Now, first of all, we see right there, it wasn't planned. It was just 20 students and the worship team decided to just keep going. So there's one thing there. Secondly, here's another move of God right here. We're talking about young adults that would rather be sleeping. I know my 16-year-old doesn't like to get out of bed until 11, 12 o'clock. So this is at 10 o'clock. There's like to get everybody to come, 200 students show up. And they're like, Man, I'm tired. I'm just going to go back to sleep. That's amazing. Oh, and also, this is not just happening at Asbury. There's 
other revivals that sprouted out from this at Sanford University, Lee University, Cedarville University, all of which have been going on for days. And those revivals aren't getting the publicity of the Asbury one, but I assure you it is happening. But regarding the doubt, because there's been a lot of doubt on this, and I've seen it online. Um, I recently saw some comments from people that I know on Facebook questioning if this revival was real, and it kind of rubbed me the wrong way. While neither of them said it was fake or not a real revival, they both have doubts and questioned it. And I'm just like, come on, man. Then I went down like this rabbit hole on YouTube and found a bunch of people pastors, Christians, elders, who all say, say stuff like this. Okay, so I'm going to give you a bunch of different quotes from people. If this was a real revival, the testimonies would be better in terms of talking about Jesus. Or, I've watched hundreds of videos of the revival and I still haven't seen any clips showing a clear preaching of the gospel. Of course, that isn't evidence that people aren't preaching the gospel. Doubt. Similar post uh, was, uh, even the sermon that started it all was not heresy, but it really wasn't a gospel message. Only time will tell if this is a real revival. More doubt. Uh, for myself, I still feel hesitant endorsing this event simply because of the responses that a lot of the people are giving for the reason of going. So he's like, they're saying they're going there for the wrong reasons. People see a revival. They see something happening where God is at work and they want to be a part of it. And you're like, why do you want to go? It's just, it's annoying. But that particular post... <laughs> That he said, I'm going to read it again because it's funny. I, For myself, I still feel hesitant to endorse this event simply because of the responses that a lot of people are giving for the reason for going. And then that comment got a, a response that made me laugh. And it said, well, I'm sure it'll be a real move of God once you endorse it. Can't wait. To which someone else commented, LOL, the endorsing did it for me too. I'm sure that God has been waiting to hear approval of man with two emo salute emojis. It's It's good stuff. Um, then one student there said, unfortunately, I have first account experience and conversations with people who are attending and speaking on the greatness of revival who are actively living in sin. I mean, that comment right there, aren't we all living in sin? Some form, like we're all sinful creatures. The answer is yes, but aren't the ones actively living in sin, the ones we're trying to reach. I mean, that is the whole point is we're supposed to share the gospel to reach every corner of the earth, to baptize, to, to make disciples, the people who don't know Jesus. We need to tell them about it. People who are actively living in sin. That's who we're going for. And then someone said, because of the seemingly, seemingly little or no gospel preaching, the female pastors, the disorderly and charismatic chaos, I'm inclined to say, no, this is not a revival. The disorderly and charismatic chaos. Wow. Well, that reminds me of Acts 2. Uh, so Acts 2, 1 through 4, it said, when the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like a blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire and separated and came to the rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began speaking in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now this is probably like the closest thing that we can get to like a revival type of situation in the Bible. A revival isn't even a biblical term really. But... Uh, 
So all these people were in a room, tongues of fire came down, the Holy Spirit filled them. They were speaking in tongues. They could understand one another, all this stuff. And then in verse 13, we see some, however, made fun of them and said, they've had too much wine. Then later we come to find out Peter's like, no, it's only 9 a.m. Come on, let's pump the brakes on the too much wine stuff. But right here, something happened. God moved. The Holy Spirit ascended. They, they, they came into all these people. Something amazing was happening. And, like, and someone, some naysayers were there saying they're drunk. They didn't believe it. It's classic, just like what's happening now. There have been reports during these services, these testimonies, the worship at Asbury, that there have been people speaking in tongues, that there have been people prophesying, that there have been people casting demons out. And this is what is also being called as chaos. That's the chaos, the charismatic chaos. But aren't all those things gifts of the Holy Spirit? Pretty sure they are. But to many Christians, too many Christians out there, things have to be done a particular way for it to be real. Christians, we are our own worst enemies. I mean, a lot of times it's always the Christians who are coming down on the other Christians. It's a lot, a lot, a lot. And it's sickening. We want the Holy Spirit to be active in our lives and to usher people into the kingdom of God. All Christians want that. He's always working, but we cannot or we shouldn't expect to order him to do something even with our best intentions. God's will is not ours and we should not expect to understand his ways. We must, we must approach the Lord with reverent awe and with expectancy, not expectations. As if we can tell the Lord what to do. He is sovereign and what we can expect is he will do whatever brings him glory. See, we, we want to put him in a box. We need you to do it this way. We need to put, we need to have this message like this. We need to have it like this for you to move and do that like that. If we see anything that's out of order, then it's not going to be real and we're not going to believe it. That's really what's the the what's happening right now. And it irritates me so much to see Christians going after other Christians. Can we let a worship service that's been going on for 10 plus, day, 10 plus days just happen without casting doubt, without throwing accusations? And the answer seemingly is a big no. And, and there's times when we see something that's happening that is wrong, right? Uh, even when Christians, like, I have friends who go after the big famous prosperity gospel preachers. Uh, but even that, even though I know it's wrong, it still makes me uncomfortable because some of these preachers have over 40,000 church members. And if we do believe that God is sovereign, then he can work through that to reach those 40,000 people, right? And I'm, not, I'm definitely not saying that prosperity gospel is right. I'm not. It's not. I don't agree with it. I'm not saying that it should be preached. I wish that they would all stop and give good biblical messages. But here is what Samuel Say, who is a Christian writer, said. God saved me in spite of mostly heretical series of sermons by a prosperity gospel female pastor. If God gave, if God can save a wretch like me in that chaotic environment, I don't doubt that he can save anyone anywhere. And I agree with that wholeheartedly. 
But what, I, what I've seen from the videos at Asbury, a bunch of young people worshiping, singing, sharing testimonies, and telling others to come and see. Telling others to come and see. God is moving. He's at work. Telling others is the big thing. That's the thing that's the hardest for people to do in all the churches. I don't know how many times I've said, go share the gospel and nobody does. Also, a little quick side note. I know a lot of people will say that they have a problem with the testimonies with a bunch of kids saying how they've been rescued from their sin and all this stuff, but they're not actually pointing to Jesus or saying his name enough. These are brand new Christians. They don't know what they're supposed to be saying. They're not, they're not coached. This is someone coming up and sharing what's on their heart. So can we give them a little grace? But all these students, all these people at Asbury are telling others about the amazing things happening and people are coming to check it out. Asbury had 50,000 people come and visit to see what was happening. The chapel couldn't hold them, so it broke out into other parts of the campus. And now they're moving it to a bigger venue because they can't hold all those people. It's a smaller town that Asbury's in. Which leads me back to the planning situation. This simply couldn't be planned. I told you what goes into me planning for an hour to an hour and a half of a worship night. Can you imagine going into a meeting with a bunch of people at a church or a seminary, what it is, uh, and saying, all right, we're going to put on a revival. Starts this week. And then there'd be a lot of people, okay, how long are we going to plan this for? Indefinitely. There's no end date. We're just going to go with it. How do you plan for that? You need a lot of resources. You need volunteers. You need, you need worship. You need different preaching. There's a whole lot of stuff that will go into it to go 24-7 for 10 plus days, 14 days, for a month. Who knows what? You just simply can't plan it. So the planning is one big reason why I absolutely believe that this can only be a work of God. Because nothing was planned. It couldn't be. And if you disagree and you're like, now, I could plan a revival. Then I would love to see you do it and see you even get two weeks into a nonstop worship revival thing. I know before I came here at Point North, they did, I think it was a couple of years they did a revival. But in sense of there was a planned out for Monday through Friday, I think it was like six to eight. There'd be a message, maybe some worship like that. But that was it. There was never a plan to go 24-7, never stop, and all that. Now, if that happened, it would have only been a work of God because there would have been, it would have him be making a way for us to continue going on. But it didn't happen because it was planned, and it couldn't have been. So bottom line, something special is happening, and I'm excited about it. At Asbury and the other campuses, God is moving, and I love it. Oh, and I, here's another cool thing about it. I saw a clip from Tucker Carlson on Fox News who said they planned to cover the, the revival and they were told not to come because they didn't want it to be a, a political thing. And not only was that cool, but it was cool that Fox said, all right, because usually a news organization is going to go to wherever most eyes are going to. So they want the, the ratings and all that, but they decided not to. There's so many things about this revival that is amazing that I'm excited about. And I hope that it continues. And instead of us Christians criticizing, casting doubt, we should be joining in, we should be worshiping with them and, and doing all we can to support it. So that's kind of my take on it today. Not that it really matters in the whole scheme of things, but thought I would share. 
So you guys have a great week. See you next Sunday. Not next Sunday. Next Wednesday. Now we're good. We'll be right back.